Good evening. Good to see a good crowd back again this evening. Thankful you are here and thankful for our time together this evening to study as well as the time of encouragement that we have had all day today. It's been a good day. We've accomplished several things, had folks going lots of different places, lots of ways of encouragement, and uh, we appreciate you being a part of that so much. The time we have together is worship, and our, our to worship is important. Our time of Bible study is important, but the time that we can spend in fellowship and encouraging one another is so great many times as well, and we're thankful for you to be a part of that. And anyone that you can invite to be a part of that, we would encourage you to do that, to reach out to anyone, uh, not only those in the community who may be lost and need to know Christ, but anyone who we would like to have a part of this family. We would like for it to continue to grow and add to the number here and everyone to be able to enjoy the blessings of a good congregation such as the one here at Saudi. If you've got your Bibles tonight, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26. The picture on the screen here is, of course, what we oftentimes find when we look at paintings and art and history and the depiction that people would give of things. We've talked about this in our class on Wednesday nights here, talking about Daniel. Oftentimes we figure, uh, you know, what we know about many things uh, because of the paintings and the artist renditionings that we see. And, you know, we think that's exactly the way it looked. Of course, we may not know exactly, but we have an idea. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 55 Bible records for us, Matthew records for us, at that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching and the temple and you did not seize me. If you look at the area around this particular verse and you look at the picture on the screen, you would recognize that this is the what we call the betrayal and arrest in Gethsemane. This is what takes place when they come to to take Jesus when the kiss is offered there so that he would be identified. And he makes a statement here in verse number 55. The new King James says, have you come out as against a robber? The King James uses the word thief there. Have you come out against a thief with swords and clubs to take me? Jesus was not a thief, but yet he's being treated as one. And he recognizes that fact here when he makes this comment because that's the way they are, are treating him. That is the way that he feels. And again, of course, this picture here sort of depicts what takes place there at that time with his betrayal and arrest. Of course, we move forward a little bit into the story, into the account. We flip over to Luke chapter 23 and verse 33. And we read what Luke records there that takes place. Of course, again, the picture on the screen here is missing a couple of crosses. It is in Luke chapter 23 and verse 33 that Luke records for us. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So yeah, this this picture here doesn't uh, show all three crosses, but we see that he was crucified there with two other people. One on the right, one on the left. The New King James again uses the word criminals. I believe the King James may use the word malefactors. You may see a few other words there. Speaking of the, the criminals, well, speaking in particular of one person that we would call the thief on the cross. That's, of course, uh, a token there to the question that we get many times. What about the thief on the cross? A lot of times when we think about verse 33, we think about those who are hanging there with him. We think about that thief. 
And it's a question that will come up if you discuss these kinds of things with people and they want to know exactly what about that person. But tonight, we want to actually spend a few moments thinking about the four thieves of the crucifixion. The four thieves of the crucifixion. Notice the wording there on purpose of the crucifixion. They're not four thieves on the cross. There's not even three thieves on the cross. But there are four thieves that are associated with the crucifixion. Tonight, for just a moment, we want to take a look at all four of them and possibly some lessons that we could learn from them. The first one tonight is the thief who regretted. And that thief who regretted is Judas. Excuse me, I went too far there. you got your Bible and you're following along, you can look in John chapter 12 and verse number 6. John chapter 12 and verse number 6. The first thief that we're going to talk about of the crucifixion is the thief who regretted. John chapter 12 and verse 6, John records for us, this he said, speaking of Judas Iscariot, as we see back in verse number 4, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Yes, we oftentimes think about the thief on the cross, but tonight we think first of all about the thief who regretted. John chapter 12 and verse 6, Judas is considered a thief. Now, he was once a successful and appreciated person, probably. He did some good things. I'm not here to tell you tonight that I, I know all about Judas or that he was a hated person or anything like that. He was probably successful and appreciated for what he was doing. But we see here, by inspiration, that he had a, an attitude of greed. And we read that by the words that John records for us there. And of course we know that he fell, we might say, he made the mistake and he betrayed the Lord. He was a thief because John tells us here that he was in charge of the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But of all those things that are listed there, including that verse, there's nothing being said about regret about regret. But of course, if we go forward in Matthew chapter 27, and you can already see we're going to go back and forth among some of the different accounts or the different recordings of the gospel. But in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3, Matthew says, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now, depending on the version that you're looking at, again, the New King James says remorseful, you may see this phrase that's listed on the screen here, that he repented of himself. That's important to note, especially as we study repentance, knowing that's something that we must partake in, that we must do. Repentance, it's important for us to think about it. But if someone were to look at this here, they might get the wrong idea about exactly what Judas was doing. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3, whether it says that he was remorseful or he repented of himself, this idea of repentance is not the repentance that we read about in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, that's the passage that talks about godly sorrow. Paul says, therefore, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. When we talk about repentance, truly repenting, making that change, a lot of times we depict it as going one direction and then stopping and going the opposite direction, 180 degrees, uh, not turning part of the way. That's what we like to do many times. We, we going toward, we're going towards sins and we, we turn just a little bit. We, we say, I'm going to make a change and we kind of hide our face maybe and turn a little bit. But, but the actual change of heart, to change one's mind, the repentance, the true biblical repentance 
Acts 2.38, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. That's not what we read about in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3 when it says that Judas repented of himself or was remorseful. When we talk about the repentance that is mentioned there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and there's, there's a couple of different Greek words that are used not only in Acts 2, but there in Matthew chapter 27. But the repentance that we would partake in, the repentance that is mentioned in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, not only looks backwards at what we've done, but it looks forward as well. Judas just looked backward. We know because of what he did, because of what he said and the way that he acted and taking his own life, he looked backward at what he had done and he was sorry about it. He probably wishes he hadn't have done it, but he didn't truly repent of what he had done. The word used there for point number one is he was the thief who regretted. It's important when we talk about repentance. We talk about regretting things. Sometimes we do something we say, oh, I really wish I hadn't have said that or done that. I'm not really maybe sorry that I did it. I'm not really going to go to the person and apologize. I'm not really going to ask to, to go to God and ask for repentance. Oh, just kind of regret that I, that happened. That's different. It's different than true biblical repentance. And when we think about the thieves of the crucifixion, the first one is Judas. But he was the thief who regretted because he went so far. But in the end, of course, we know that he took his own life and he just looked backward at the things that he had done. Number two this evening, we want to talk about the thief who was replaced. The thief who was replaced. If you're following along, Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 and 16, we meet another person here, again, of the crucifixion, more so than just only of the cross, as we think about Barabbas. Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 and 16. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Well, when we see here this listed and this description of what would take place, that it was common, that it was custom, that they would release a prisoner at the Passover. And the crowd had an opportunity to choose. We, we think about this often. When we talk about the cross, and you've heard those lessons, no doubt, on the cross and you've heard those lessons that talk about the crowd chanting, crucify him, crucify him, and how they wanted Jesus over Barabbas. The crowd had an opportunity to choose. If you've got your Bible there, we look at Acts chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15. Acts 3, 14 and 15. When Peter is preaching here, Peter and John are continuing after Acts chapter 2 to, to uh, preach the things, preach the good news. Peter is delivering this, this speech or this sermon here and he says, But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. Here Peter goes on to record for us that he was a murderer. Excuse me, the New King James says that was their choice. That was the choice that they made. When the government there, the Feast of the Governor, they had the opportunity to choose between the different prisoners that they had. Now, what we know about Barabbas is that we don't know a whole lot about his upbringing. We don't know about his parents. We don't know if he wasn't hugged enough, as some people say sometimes, or he wasn't loved enough, or he was abandoned, or anything like that. We don't know a lot. But we do know a few things about his lifestyle. Again, if you're following along, first of all, Mark chapter 15 and verse number 7. The Bible records for us in Mark's account there that and there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder 
in the rebellion. So he's well known somewhat. The folks know him. Uh, in fact, there's no reading. It does, there doesn't appear to be a reading of his crimes. There's a recognition of who he was and what he had done. And as Mark records for us here, he had committed murder in the rebellion and he was there with some of his fellow rebels. John chapter 18 and verse number 40 Again, John records for us, Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, the choice, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. We might say a thief here. So we don't know a lot about maybe his childhood or exactly how he got to be the way that he was. But we understand that he was well known. That it was understood who he was. It's known to us, or appears to be to us, there shouldn't have been much of a choice when it came to the choice that the people would have to make here at this particular time. He was a notable prisoner, and again, Pilate never mentioned his crimes, just the name, and the folks know uh, that they know the choice that they're making. They know who they are asking for to be released, but Barabbas was replaced. Now, it's interesting to note a few things, and there's a couple of columns here on the screen, a few parallels. It's not necessarily of any importance, just kind of an interesting note. Barabbas means son of a father, and of course, Jesus was the son of the father. As well, Barabbas had been tried, convicted, and was waiting for his punishment. And of course, Pilate had declared that Jesus was innocent and actually desired his release Again, the choice on one hand and the other for the people there, there doesn't appear to be much of a choice. We talk about justice in our society, our government. We, we desire justice. We need justice on things. And here it seems to be, you know, a pretty easy choice. Yet we know that the people choose Barabbas because he is the thief who was replaced. And in the end, Barabbas, or excuse me, Jesus took Barabbas' condemnation, his scourging, his humiliation, his death, and his sins when he, that's Jesus, the son of the father, when he went to the cross, he took those things for him. He took it for you and for me as well, but he certainly took it for Barabbas as he was the replacement. So in the second place tonight, we see that Barabbas is the second thief, the thief who was replaced. Number three, this evening we see the thief who rebelled. Again, we go back to Matthew chapter 27 and Matthew's account. Now we get into the more familiar thieves that we know of. But in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 38, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. We know that to be the case. And we have read that. That's very familiar to us when it comes to the actual things that occur there at the cross as we would say, as opposed to just the crucifixion and all that takes place there in that time frame as well. But of course we know of all the things that are said in the Bible, of all the, the things that are prophesied, of all the prophecies of Jesus, this is included in them. The fact that he was crucified with thieves is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 12. He was crucified with thieves, with robbers, one on the right hand and another on the left. It's interesting to note, again, a comparison all three were nailed. All three sagged down. Again, if you ever heard that sermon, or I've heard several ministers, preachers do it, but the sermons that are on the, the suffering of Jesus uh, are, are, are excruciating to listen to. They're very painful to think about that. But all three of these men would have gone through being nailed to the cross, sagging there on the cross, agonizing physically, going through this torturous, this torturous death. And what would take place as part of their punishment of being crucified. 
And of course, all three went through that, and both malefactors railed at him. Again, Matthew 27, verses 41 through 44. It says, Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And then verse number 44 Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. So we know that both of them, just as they went through the other things that Jesus did, continued to rail against him. You can imagine being in that position somewhat, not being crucified necessarily, but being one among many, one who everyone's attention is on, one who everyone is attacking and railing against. But of course, one continued. Luke's account, Luke chapter 23 and verse 39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. One continues to keep on railing against him. We might say again, and using the letter R, of course, as as our way of, of looking at these things, we have a thief here who rebelled. He rebelled against Jesus. The word the New King James used there in verse 39 of Luke is blasphemed. Blasphemed against the name of Jesus. Uh, You can imagine some people who are in the same group. Some people who are going through the same thing. And they start arguing amongst themselves until they recognize, Hey, hey, you crazy guy, you're in the same position I'm in. This thief here, he he continues to go on. It doesn't matter that, that they're both in the same thing, that he's suffering in the same way. But he says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He continues to go on that way. Now, he forgot a few things we would notice. He forgot God. Of course, again, he forgot his death is at hand. He's suffering the same thing. But yet he forgets that. He just continues to rail against Jesus. He grows in with the crowd. As he says there, maybe he's trying to to get himself saved. But whether he really believes it or not, we might not be sure. And of course, he forgets his deeds. Because you see, as we said a moment ago, he's getting what he deserves, we might say. He's getting what he has earned by his evil deeds. That's not what Jesus is getting. Jesus, the son of the father, is not getting what he deserves. But yet this thief who rebelled continues to speak out against Jesus, against God, with his death that is waiting there for him, and even his deeds. He's rebelling, and he's going to do so here even up until the point of his death. He failed at the same time to see what was most important. And of course, he failed as well to ask for deliverance from sin rather than death. Just like we sing the song, of course, 10,000 angels. Could Jesus have said, you know, be gone or be saved or get down and, and he magically appear or do something? I mean, Jesus could have done anything that he wanted to do there at that point. He doesn't. He doesn't even for himself, but he could have. As the son of God, he could have asked for deliverance. For sin from this guy, he could have possibly saved him from death, I guess. But this man here fails to see that. And he continues on his sinful path, his sinful way, even up until the point here of hanging on the cross. And then number four this evening, we see the thief who repented. The thief who repented. And notice again the difference. The difference on purpose in the language between the thief who regretted and the thief who repented. Luke chapter 23, again, verses 40 through 43. We just read verse 39 where the one criminal continues to blaspheme him. Verse number 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, 
seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man has that moment, that moment of thinking about his life, thinking about what might lie ahead. Unfortunately, like many people, he might he, he, he waited to the last moment. Sometimes we don't know when that last moment is, and, and somebody might wait too long, but, but he knows. You know, he, he's lasted this long. He knows, and he waits until this moment. But in terrible pain, he, he looks to the center cross. He, he looks to Jesus. He looks past Jesus, even we might say, to the other one, to, to get on to him, to answer him. And, and the New King James says, rebuke him, saying these things. Of course, again, some of the same things we said. Don't you see what you're under? Don't you see what, what's happening to you? Don't you see that this is justified based on what we have done? And then this thief who repented ceased his scoffing and turns to Jesus in penitence. Turns to him again, recognizing, you know, that there is something that I have done. There is something that has caused me to be here. Possibly even recognizing there is something that's caused this man to be here. Uh, you know, whether they were able to witness all the things that had taken place, obviously not everything, but if they were able to take place or, or observe some of the things that had taken place that evening might be interesting to know. Perhaps watching some of the proceedings, perhaps watching as Jesus walked that walk carrying his cross, and of course watching all along. You know, I, I don't know the crowds that were gathered together at a, at a crucifixion, I know just the other day I was flipping along the, the television and, and we flipped past the movie Gladiator. Some of you may remember that. I don't necessarily recommend it, but you, if you've seen that or aware of that, that, that type of thing of, of course, the people watching people be murdered for sport, whether with other men or, or animals. And I, I don't know what kind of crowd they had at a crucifixion. Maybe this was a larger crowd they'd ever seen. Maybe this guy had witnessed other ones and he recognizes the people around, those who were there, those who were railing against this man. Perhaps others who were crucified just, just hung there. You know, maybe their parents showed up, maybe not. Maybe their family showed up, but probably most people left them alone. But of course, the attention that Jesus was getting, maybe he recognized that. But he turns to Jesus and in penitence says the words that he says there. He suffered the same agony as this other guy. He suffered the same agony, but he acted different. He seems to repent of what he had done or, or to say these words to Jesus. Why? Well, he possibly, and it would seem, feared God. He says, do you not even fear God to the other malefactor that is hanging there? So he maybe is having this moment of thinking about this. Of course, he recognizes that death was close. He's concerned about what state he died in. And here's where we get into our own life or others that we know of. Perhaps parents or grandparents of, of yours maybe who, who have passed away, who were into their final moments in this life and are considering these things as, as people sometimes do. He recognizes these things. He recognizes what's going on. And he begins to, to say something different. He kind of changes his tune, if you will. He recognizes that God here is doing something, that something is taking place here. And he's recognizing the state that he is in and how he is about to die as well. And as he admitted the sinfulness of his own conduct in verse number 41, what he had done, getting the reward for his deeds. And then in verse number 42, he recognizes the innocence of Jesus. He recognizes that this man has done nothing wrong. And so as he says this at the end of his life, he kind of recognizes a few things here. 
about this Jesus and about the situation that they are all in. And he says those words, and of course Jesus responds to him. And that's where we get, of course, the great discussion that happens about the thief on the cross. I got a question for you here as we finish, but to recap very briefly, we talked about the four thieves of the crucifixion. We talked about Judas, the thief, of course, who regretted, recognizes he did something wrong, but doesn't go so far as to repent, change his life. We recognize and talk about the rebellious thief and the penitent thief, who, of course, their life ends right there. Now, if you notice, we're a little out of order than the way that we went through things. But if you look at those three folks right there on the screen, if you look at those three thieves, the crucifixion there, we know their end. Their end was right then and there, or at least in the few days after. Their lives ended. But what happened to Barabbas? What happened to Barabbas? We don't know. Did Barabbas change his life for the good? Did he walk away that day and go, I don't know who this guy is fully, but I want to know more about him. And I'm going to ask those people who were with him. You know, I think I might want to be like him. I think I might want to follow after him. And I think I might want to do the things that he talked about doing. Did he walk away and say, thanks, and go about his life the way that he was? Did he go back and find his rebellious friends who maybe weren't caught this time, but may have been a part of their little band of thieves there and groups and go right back to the way that he was living? I don't know. Judas's life ended. The rebellious thief, the penitent thief, their lives ended. But what about Barabbas? We're not exactly sure if he made the best of a second chance that he was given on life there. The question for you tonight, of course, and the question for me is, what about us? You know, Barabbas sort of had a new lease on life, didn't he? He could have walked away and done any number of things. He might not could have put his whole past behind him. He might have ended up in the exact same place just days later. We don't know. But he had a new lease on life. What about you? What about the new lease that you have on life? Because as long as God allows us time and opportunity here upon this earth, we have a new lease on life, so to speak. We have time and opportunity to make a change. When we think about the four thieves of the crucifixion, we know the end of some of them, not one. But we can see the actions that took place there on that day and the days around this particular uh, occasion. And we know exactly what some of them did, that Judas in particular didn't, make a, didn't, didn't have a chance, didn't take the chance to make a change. Will you make a change tonight? We don't know what Barabbas did, but it's interesting to consider that. Maybe, just maybe he did. And even someone who was a murderer, even someone who was a thief had a chance to go find out about this Jesus, about this Son of the Father, the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ, and make a change. And thankfully tonight, we have the same opportunity. You don't have to hang on the cross. You don't have to be put up for crucifixion to make a change. Tonight, you simply just have to change your mind. Repent of your sin. Maybe that's included in the gospel plan of salvation. Repenting of your sin, of course. Confessing the name of Jesus. Being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So that the Lord can add you to his church. Maybe you've done that, but, but there's more sin in your life. You've wandered away because it's hard. It is hard. The world gets at us, and we want to do the things that are easy. We want to do the things that are fun. We want to do the things that everyone else is doing. Maybe you're here, and there's sin in your life, and you need to repent or make a change of that. We're thankful for God's second law of pardon that we, again, have time and opportunity to make a change. Maybe you're here tonight and need the prayers of the congregation to encourage you with your Christian walk. It's Part of the reason we're joined together to encourage one another. But we have to answer this question. What about you? Will you make a change even now as we stand together and as we sing?